0: Father, we do thank you so much for the great work of Christ at the cross. And what a privilege is ours to have your word in our hands, to have so much information right here at our fingertips. Lord, our challenge is to live it out. And Father, that you would do a work in us through the preaching of your word today is our prayer. We thank you for the encouragement of the report from Ghana. Thank you for Jeff, Sherry, and Seth and the safety of their trip and how they have blessed and encouraged that orphanage and becoming an important part of the lifeline of keeping it going. Help us at Fellowship to have tender hearts for broken people and needy people around the world. Father, most of all, may we have a great sense of people's need for the gospel. And the transforming power of Christ to change lives. Fathers, we open our Bibles now. Teach us, encourage us, and strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some time ago, I don't know if you um, ever ran into the personality and temperament analysis test that compares people to certain kinds of animals. One that was very popular... um presented a questionnaire and it only took five minutes to fill it out. And it asks you questions like, do you like authority? Are you enthusiastic? Are you sensitive to feelings? Do you like instruction? Uh, Do you take risks? Are you loyal? And lots of questions like that. You check it off and then you categorized yourself as one of four different kinds of, of all things, animals. Are you the lion? And of course the lion is the, the leadership personality. Their strengths are that they're goal-oriented, and they're strong and direct. Of course, with every strength comes weaknesses. They also tend to be argumentative-type people and too dictatorial. And uh, they don't understand with their limitations that the lion, being direct, sometimes hurts people's feelings. Are you a lion? And you take the test. What, maybe you're an otter. An otter was the other animal and the otter is a very social creature. You love to talk and you love to be with people and you love to laugh and you're a very people oriented person and you're very positive. Of course, the weakness for that is that you never stop talking and you are very permissive in your parenting and a very nice person and people walk all over you. Um, You have trouble remembering past commitments and following through with discipline. You're just happy. But maybe you're the golden retriever. Oh, I'll bet you you really want to be the golden retriever. Um, The golden retriever is good at making friends. He's very loyal, very caring, has deep relationships. The strengths are that they're accommodating, they're calm, and they're affirming Uh, The weakness, of course, is reflected because they tend to be indecisive and and sometimes indifferent and unable to express their emotions accurately. And and, uh, they are limited in that they need to be more assertive and they need to hold others more accountable, but they're just a loyal golden retriever. And finally, the fourth one, interestingly enough, dividing us into four categories or four kinds of people. And I noticed that there are a lot of these kinds of things where people are divided into four different categories. Uh, the final one is the beaver, the busy beaver. He's organized and he thinks there's a right way to do everything. And he wants to do it the exact way according to the book. And, and um, they desire to solve every problem. They have high standards and they're very orderly and they demand respect. Of course, their weaknesses are that they're un, they have unrealistic expectations of themselves and others too. They're, they're perfectionists. And, I wonder where you fall in there. Are you the lion, the otter, the beaver, or the golden retriever? I I have no idea. Um, There's mixtures. It's kind of fun to think about, what kind of person am I? Well, I found it interesting when we turn to Matthew chapter 13, and I invite you to do that, that Jesus is going to approach his disciples with a parable... We heard this parable read just last week. He's going to present a parable and the point of the parable has to do with categorizing people into one of four different areas. He doesn't say anything about being a lion or an otter or a golden retriever. You might want to use the notes that are available in your bulletin. There were some at the door as you come in, just trying to help us be a little bit more organized in our thinking and move through our material a little bit more methodically and in a helpful manner. I hope that that's helpful. Let's read our text. Um, I'm going to read it in its entirety, verses 1 through 23. Part of this was read last week as it fit our theme, and laid a foundation for the parable of the weeds and the tares, which was really what had to do with the good seed, bad seed of our missions conference last week. I thought it would be helpful for us to break this passage down and and to receive what our Lord is saying here. As we read, you will notice the four different kinds of soil, which ultimately will represent people. I'll show you how we know that. Jesus' is teaching, and it says in chapter 13, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. We can picture that easily. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. Now, let's make sure in our culture that we're not talking about taking a needle and thread or anything like that. Um, you know, the, this is broadcasting seed, casting seed out of a bag onto the ground, onto the fields and soil. And as he sowed verse four, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on rocky ground where he did not have much soil, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears, let him hear. And we had our cute little skit of the ears of corn. And indeed, we want to be people who have ears to hear, don't we? So then the disciples help us out. They ask some questions that we would want to ask Jesus if we were present. I mean, Jesus is there sitting in the front of the boat. The shoreline is crowded with people. And he begins with this style of teaching. It's parabolic. It's, it's telling this story. And it's designed to make you say to yourself, what in the world is he talking about? I've got to ponder this. I've got to think about this. Well, the disciples came, and we know from Mark's gospel that it was after they had left that the disciples approached Jesus in the house after they went back in the house, and they said, Why do you speak to them? That would be the multitudes in parables. And he answered them, To you, the disciples, those who believe, those who follow Christ, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Your Bible might say the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, uh, let's see if we can hold our thought life together here in our track of thinking, and let's just kind of stop and let me just say something. You need to know that in Matthew chapter 13, this is a pivotal point, this transition time, after this major confrontation in chapter 12 with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, That Jesus is now shifting gears and, and chapter 13 marks a change. And he is now going to speak largely in parables from now on. He is explaining to the disciples right now why he's going to do that. You see, he's been using metaphors. Hasn't he said, you know, earlier on in his teaching, he's talked about laying up treasure in heaven. And he's used word pictures, in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses word pictures, but he, he hasn't really used these parable parables like we're going to find here. And in fact, it is, it is such a dramatic shift in teaching that the disciples wanted to know, why are you now talking like this? What's going on? that you, You're talking to the multitudes, and their point is, and they don't understand a thing you're saying. Now, while we're stopped here and broken from our passage... If you have your notes in front of you, you can see that I put a text box there, text box there. And it might be helpful for you to recognize that Matthew is broken down into basically, or Matthew records for us five major discourses. A discourse is a specific time of teaching, it's a lecture. Matthew records five. Now, there is additional teaching sprinkled in. But Matthew can be broken down as these major discourses broken up by miracles. We've covered two so far. The first one is the most well-known. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Then we had that interesting passage of the commissioning of the disciples, where he sends them out with instruction. Right now, we're beginning chapter 13, and what we're going to find in chapter 13 is that there is going to be a fast-fire sequence of eight different parables. The first two are the longest, and the first one is the most familiar. It's the parable of the the sower, the seed and the soil. The next is the weeds and the tares. These parables, they really are puzzling. And there really is something to them as far as like, what is he talking about? One of the problems with parables is too, is how far do we go with them? What all is Jesus illustrating? One of the things that we will do is we will try to identify as Jesus reveals to the disciples the meaning of the parables, exactly how far we can go with it, because you have to be really careful of turning every part of a parable into some spiritual meaning. And you can distort very quickly the whole meaning of the passage. And you can make up stuff that's not in the passage about what rocky ground is or what seed is or whatever and you can do all kinds of things but you got to be careful and let the text show us what this seed is what this soil is all right and there's ways of making application that's what our speaker did last week of talking about the kind of the fruit of our lives that as we cast seed we want that seed to be good seed that is creating the uh, the productivity of the gospel life in other people and he tried to make he, he did make an application in that sense with our passage last week so, the, so this section here is Jesus answering this specific question of the disciples. Let's continue to read now. Um, let me comment on verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. I wanted to say two more things while I stopped. This idea of secrets of the kingdom or the mystery in our New Testament, a mystery or a secret is something that would have remained unknown had it not been further revealed. So there are things that, that Jesus is teaching that he's revealing these secrets of his kingdom or, or a mystery. It's not, like a, it's not like a Frank and Joe Hardy mystery novel. It is a truth that if Jesus hadn't revealed further what he was talking about, it would have remained hidden from people. Some of these things, the prophets of old pondered and wondered about and even wrote about a little bit, but they couldn't understand what was coming. You also need to know that he's now focusing on truths about his kingdom. Now, here's a way to think about this. Let's pretend that we're Jesus. I don't mean this inappropriately, but let's pretend that we're Jesus. And we know that we've come from the Father and we know that we've been born of Mary for a specific purpose. And we know that we're going to to the cross to accomplish a very specific purpose, the redemption of lost humanity. Alright? And we come unto our own and John chapter 1 says, He came unto His own and His own what? Received Him not. How do you feel if you're Jesus? Now, Not only that, you're coming to people who have been studying the Old Testament for literally centuries and they have been longing for whom? Messiah. They want rescued. They know that Messiah is supposed to come and establish himself on David's throne. And now you come and you do these awesome miracles. You make the blind to see and the lame to walk and you raise the dead even. And they look at you, and what do they say? You're a Beelzebub, the devil! And so the way to think about this is by the time we get to chapter 13, you've had enough. You're Jesus. It's it. That's it. And in fact, in Israel of old, when the prophets wrote about the coming of Messiah, and they called for the Israelites to turn their hearts after God, what did they do to the prophets? They killed them. They didn't listen to him and their ears were stopped and they didn't want to see what they had to say and they had the truth right in front of them. And so what you need to recognize is how significant it is to have Jesus Messiah in your presence and as it were to be going blah, 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 like this with your fingers in your ears while he's talking because you refuse to believe that he's the Messiah. And so now... He's going to teach his disciples. He's going to teach using parables. And let's finish why he explains what he does. For to the one who has more, it will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has shall be taken away. The more you receive the teaching of Christ, the more you will get it it, and the more you will be given. The more you harden your heart and turn away and push away from the teachings of Christ, the less you're going to get. When you have more, you have a greater responsibility. This is why I speak to them in parables, Jesus says, because seeing they do not see. In other words, standing here looking at me, they still don't see that I'm the Messiah. And hearing me preach, they still do not hear the truth, nor do they understand Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This is Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. That chapter 6 is where when Isaiah makes that great prophecy and where he starts out the chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Remember that part? And and holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But he was speaking to a rebellious group of Israelites at the time. And in chapter nine and in chapter six, verses nine and ten of Isaiah, he says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. See, they were rejecting God's prophets way back then. And you will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For this people's hearts will, heart will grow dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed, lest lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But the point is, they have a determined blindness. They have a determined deafness. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to respect Jesus. You know people like that. I know people like that. You try to talk to them about Christ and they don't want to hear it. And they have ears, but they don't hear. And they have eyes, but they don't see. And then he turns back to the disciples in verse 16 and he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. The prophets and the righteous people of the Old Testament long to see Messiah in person. And now the disciples had the great privilege of seeing Christ right in front of them and knowing him. And he said, "Uh, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and they did not get to see it. They did not see it and to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. You'll notice there's a text box on your notes. And we will touch base again in further parables about expanding our understanding. Because this is a little bit complicated. Why Jesus exactly spoke in parables. But I gave you a little running list there. Why Jesus taught in parables. And the word parable, by the way, means to, to lay something down alongside. That is to for comparison or illustration. To come alongside and to illustrate something. A children's definition of it that we use sometimes is a a heavenly an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Telling an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus tells a story about a farmer casting grain on the ground. Everybody can picture that. Everybody understands that. But it has spiritual meaning, and in Matthew thirteen and on, it is specifically illustrating truths about Christ's kingdom. And you see his kingdom now. In reality, right now, from then until now, is still a spiritual kingdom. He never did set up on David's throne. He never did overthrow Rome. He never did appoint the apostles on his right hand and his left hand. And he never did rule on an earthly throne. In fact, they crucified him and they put him on the cross. And so he's teaching us now, look, you rejected me. We're not going to have a literal throne at this time now. But there's going to be a spiritual kingdom. And you need to understand the spiritual truths of this kingdom. Looking at our text box, let's just click off. Okay, so one reason that Jesus taught with parables is to illustrate profound spiritual truth. So as we unfold these parables, and there's eight of them in this passage, they're not easy to understand exactly. They have some mystery that's being revealed. And the spiritual reality of these parables is pretty profound. And so by teaching in a parable, it'll help us grasp profound truth, and it helped the disciples to grasp these profound truths. It was to fulfill prophecy. We just saw that in Isaiah, when Isaiah prophesied, he was telling the people there that their hearts were hard, but he was also it was a prophetic a pronouncement about Israel in the future that you rejected the prophets, you're going to reject, reject the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ, and therefore your ears are going to be stopped and your eyes are going to be blind. And, and he was prophesying that It was specifically to bring understanding to the disciples in front of the masses and the disciples would understand and they would have a chance to talk, but the crowds wouldn't. It almost seems like it's not fair, but you got to realize number four, that that's because Jesus even spoke in parables as a form of judgment on Israel. You ever think about that, that looking at him and hearing him, they still wouldn't understand him. And it was, it was the result of repeated rejection of Christ you know, even to this day, when you repeatedly reject the Word of God, the Word of God gets to be something that you don't even care about or even understand. I don't, I don't get that. Well, all your life you've been rejecting it. You have no open heart or mind towards the gospel. Finally, it was to minimize additional judgment on Israel. What do we mean by that? You do know that the more you know, the more you stand accountable for. And in a, and in a, and in a way... Jesus teaching in parables limited the amount of understanding the people would have so that later on in future judgment they wouldn't be judged quite as badly. That's hard to get your mind around. Let's just leave that section now and let's do the let's get through the lessons of our parable here quickly. And as I said in the future parables each week we will try to understand at a deeper level what exactly Jesus is doing as he teaches in parables. We're at verse 18 now, let's finish the passage, and it'll click off pretty quickly. Hear then the parable of the sower. So the disciples have asked Jesus, what about this parable? Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. We're all growing at different rates spiritually, aren't we? Let's go to our notes and let's understand that when we, when we encounter this parable, the first thing we need to do is we need to define the key words so that we can understand it. What's he talking about, and what do these parts of the parable represent The first is the sower himself. The sower. Bullet point, letter A, first bullet point, three key words, letter A, the sower, and that equals Christ. And we see that in verse 37, for example, when we go to the next parable, the parable of the weeds and the tares. If you look at verse 37, it says there, he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. So we can have a pretty good conclusion. We can draw the summary point that if in the next parable the one sowing the seed is Jesus, it's likely that in reality the one who's sowing the seed in the first parable is Jesus. We would expand this though, and this is what we did last week with the passage, was the idea that as representatives of Christ or servants of the gospel, we also sow seed. But what is seed? Letter B. Seed is the gospel itself. It's the gospel. It is the word of God. We see that in verse 19, for example. Take a look. The evil one, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. The connection part of that verse is, is that the word of the kingdom is the seed that was sown in his heart. In the parallel passages, for example, in Luke chapter 8, we have this same passage. It says in Luke's account of this parable, it says specifically in Luke eight thirteen, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. So it is the truths of the kingdom. It is the gospel message. That through repentance of our sin, we can enter into salvation by grace through faith in Christ. We can become children of God. We become spiritual sons of Abraham. And all of the teaching of Christ really is summarized as the word of God. We would expand that out to be our Bibles now. The word that comes from God. That is the seed that we are responsible to sow. Specifically, the gospel. The soil then, what is the soil? Let your eyes go back to verse 19. And notice that, that the word of the kingdom is what is sown in his heart. When you read the para- the passages and you understand what's going on, you recognize that the soil is, is the heart of man. And so therefore, as we look at this passage, we're really seeing four kinds of people. And it really represents four kinds of hearts. Four kinds of hearts. And let me just go quickly, and you follow along in your notes, and I think you'll find it helpful. The first one is the hard-hearted man. Now, what we want to do, kind of like taking a test. Am I an otter? Am I a golden retriever? Am I a lion? Am I a beaver? What am I? What, What kind of person am I? The obvious conclusion in our thinking here as we study the passage is that you want to ask yourself, Who am I? What kind of person am I? What kind of heart do I have? What kind of soil is there in my life to receive the word of God? And the first one is the hard-hearted man or the hard-hearted person. I'm using man representative of mankind. So women, I'm not cutting you out. The hard-hearted man. Now this person, his life is represented in the parable of the hard beaten path. Life has beat him up. He's hard-hearted. He doesn't have a tender, prepared heart for the word. So he has no interest. He has no interest in the Bible or Christ. He has no felt need to change his thinking or his lifestyle. He's hard as a rock. You're not going to change me. No felt need. Because there's no humility. There's no humility. He already thinks he has all the answers. You talk to a person like that? I don't need the Bible. I don't need God. I don't need your gospel. I'm just fine the way I am. And the, and the seed just bounces off like seed hitting the path. And it just lays on top. It doesn't get in the soil. It doesn't enter his heart at all. He's like Psalm 14.1. He's like the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. It just bounces out of his life. It doesn't make a difference. And he has no ears to hear. No ears to hear. The gospel just falls on deaf ears. Verses 5 and 6, as Jesus is explaining now, the rest of the parable for the disciples, that is what was sown along the, um, the verses 20 and 21, excuse me. Verses, verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13 correspond with the answer in verses 20 21. That what has been sown in his heart, this is what has been sown along the path. Now, verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. I call this man the weak-hearted man or the faint-hearted man. Why? Look what happens. He hears the word, he receives it with joy, but look what happens. As soon as tribulation and persecution arise, on account of the word, the second somebody mentions Jesus, they get embarrassed. The second somebody wants to laugh at them for following Christ, you believe that? Oh, no, 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 I, 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 um, um, I'm, I'm very educated and I'm, I was just saying that, you know. And they immediately back off of their position. They never entered in. It was never a transforming gospel in their lives. They just wanted to add on the life improvement plan. God has a plan for your life. And he wants to bless you. And you're thinking, maybe I'll get a better car out of this deal. But the second adversity and tribulation enters in, you're done. You're done. This person has no depth of understanding. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, it sounds great to me. But they have really no understanding of the transforming power of Christ. They have... They are faithless. They do not believe that God will take care of them. Personal comfort comes first. And they avoid adversity. The third man is in verse 22. And we see that he loves the things of this world. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. He's a pleasure hearted man. A pleasure hearted man. Let me just fill in the blanks for you so we can get it. This man is all about personal security. He's all about his, the framework of his life and he lives stressed out worrying about his assets and his resources. He loves this world and all that's in it. He's not really interested in going to heaven on the next run because he would miss too much what's on this world, on this earth. He finds his pleasure and his security and his identity and money and material things. He is not heavenly minded at all. And that's what happens. He he enters in with joy, but the cares of the world, as for the one that was sown among thorns, it was the one before him, enters in with joy. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. The final man has the good soil. He's humble. He's the humble-hearted man because he understands his need. He hears the gospel and he says, man, that's me. I need that. He recognizes his own inadequacies. He's ready to listen. He's ready to listen and to learn. He's willing to surrender. He hears and he believes. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In that passage... As we conclude, can I say this? If you want to know what kind of person you are, what kind of person am I? Am I a a lion or a golden retriever? I don't know, man. Are you a a hard-hearted person? Jesus wants to know. He doesn't care what kind of animal you are. The most accurate gauge of your heart has to do with your response to the Word of God you see what this passage is all about? People responding in their hearts to the gospel and the word of God. And if you don't respond to the word of God, it tells you what kind of heart you have. Maybe even in your own testimony, you know what it was to have a joy. And now there's no joy there. I want you to notice in this passage that three quarters of the seed, three fourths of the seed didn't produce. For those of you who are seed casters, evangelists, keep casting. Three out of four people you talk to will have one of the other kinds of hearts. We'll expand upon this a little bit more later and as we deal with the parables. But let me just say that Jesus did not teach easy believism. You see, everybody who had the, the thin soil on the rocks, the thin soil... The one who was sown among thorns. They were like, oh yeah, 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 I'm all in, I'm all in. But they really weren't in. They did not want their lives transformed. They wanted to stay in control. They never came to a place of yielding over. They were not saved and then lost their salvation. They just never got the real truth of the gospel and that it is about transforming your life. Let's pray. Why don't you just stand with me and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And for the truths that are presented in this passage, Lord, we find it very challenging. It's helpful to think through what kind of person we are. Father, if there's a hard-hearted soul here today, would you break that hard ground? Father, for the one who has received the gospel with joy in the past, but now it's not even a part of their lives. They've forgotten all about it. Would you challenge them to examine their hearts? For the one who's entangled in the cares of this world doesn't have their eyes on Jesus at all. Would you convict and confront? Father, for the seed that falls on good ground, would you help us to produce that the tree would bring forth good fruit? Father, somehow, may your Holy Spirit take these words and help us apply them to our lives throughout the week. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.